Okay, let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy this morning. 2 Timothy, um, as we look at, continue to study the book of uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, The thing is, 2 Timothy, the theme of the whole book is Paul is telling Timothy to keep the fire burning, keep the fire alive. Paul's concerned because he knows he's getting ready to die. And he's concerned that Timothy is able to carry on where he left off. Um, a little bit of background for this um, is we looked at, so far we've looked at most of chapter 1. We started out talking about where Paul tells Timothy to stir up the fire of the gospel that's within him. Stir it up. Keep the, keep the fire going. And that was a challenge to me when I read and looked at that, is that here we are some 2,000 years later, and we still need to keep the fire of the gospel going. He says, stir it up. Stir up the spirit that that's within you. <clears throat> he talked about the importance of salvation. And then he talks to Timothy about two things. He says, be strong. And then he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God's given us a spirit of wisdom and a sound mind. So God says to him, don't be afraid. Uh, Be strong, he says. Then he says, don't be ashamed. We spent a lot of time, three weeks ago I guess it was, on the notion of not being ashamed of the gospel. But now as we move into... um, the last part, the last section of, of chapter 1, we look at, Paul is going to give us here two patterns. Now, uh, I, the Lord changed my outline. I'm not, so if I get confused, bear with me. But Paul gives Timothy two patterns. No, first of all, does anybody remember these? Anybody remember these? Anybody ever seen these before? Anybody old enough they remember these? Somebody tell me what it is. A, a, a dressmaker pattern, or yeah, and um, Mary had some of them. She, she dug it up immediately. I asked her if she had one, and she dug it up out of nowhere. I was so impressed that she just went up there and dug it up this morning. What did, what did you use? Up? I'm not going to dig it out. Wouldn't make much sense. Now, what do you what do you, what do you use? I would I couldn't use this pattern for anything. Okay, what do you use? Goodness sakes! All right, how in the world you going to fold this back up for me? <laughs> okay, good. What do you use a pattern for? Somebody, anybody? What do you use a pattern for? To guide you when you're making something. This was for a. This was for a dress. Okay. And you cut what you did. I, I, you, you cut the pattern out, and then you cut out cloth to fit the pattern, and you sewed the bits together. All right. So that's patterns have been important to you many, many, many years ago. When I was doing sheet metal work, when I was doing sheet metal work, I, um, I did a lot of sheet metal work, and I got to be pretty good at it. And when you make a straight piece of ductwork, you, you know what ductwork is? It's the metal stuff that you blow air through. All right, straight duck work is okay, but you have to sometimes make some pretty fancy fittings to turn around a corner or to drop down or to reduce the airflow. And all those most common pieces, I, what, when I first made the com, more common pieces, I, t- I took some sheet metal and I cut out a pattern. And therefore, what I did from then on, I just used the pattern to lay out the pieces. All the notches were in there. And so patterns are a part of what we... Part of our life. 
And the nice thing about this next section again, and again, the Holy Spirit just is this really yesterday changed my thinking on the passage, so bear with me as I said, is that Paul gives us, gives Timothy two patterns in the next few verses. He gives him the pattern of God's Word, and then he gives him also, he gives him another pattern, and the other pattern is an example of a godly Christian. So he says, here's two patterns for you. The first pattern is, is the Word of God. The second pattern is a guy named Anisiphorus, Anisiphorus, Anisiphorus. I never can say that guy's name. So if I, so, but anyway, he lays out a couple of patterns here for, and the passage reads like this. We're in one, two Timothy chapter one, verse thirteen through eighteen. He says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and in love which is in Christ Jesus. I've got to make sure it's recorded. Mary's dad hasn't heard a message in three weeks because of my own mistakes. Um, that good thing, he says, Hold fast that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which lives in us. This you know that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are... Um, Thagilius and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anisphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, you know very well. Father, I thank you for the two patterns you give here. You tell us to stick true to the pattern of your word. Then you give us a pattern of godliness in this brother named Anisiphorus. We pray that you might bless our time together. Teach us from your word um, some special lesson that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have to say, I admire Norma for doing sign language interpretation. I did that 40-some years ago. And 40 years ago, I could have preached and signed in ASL. But I really appreciate that because... And I'm going to try to be aware... I don't know how anybody could possibly translate the way I speak into sign language. So I'm going to do my best. And I'll try to be... I'll try to be... I'll try to be... I'll try to keep my thoughts in one direction. But anybody who's used to me preaching in one direction knows that I shoot off everywhere. Okay, so we'll give it a shot and I'll try to be attentive. I want to look first of all, um, Paul gets into the, the, the meat of the message in chapter 2. He mentions the two things I talked about. He mentions the pattern of God's Word. He talks about a pattern of a loyal worker. But three things he says here as we look at God's Word. He's going to repeat these three major teachings. As he talks about God's Word, he says we need to keep God's Word. It means we need to keep it in our hearts. He says we need to guard God's Word. And the last thing he says is that we need to share God's Word. Now that share God's Word will come up next week, God willing, as we get in chapter 2. He tells Timothy as he moves forward to keep God's Word, to guard God's Word, and to share God's Word. Uh, a little quote here from uh, one of my favorite commentators. Uh, I think this is Spurgeon. The call to faithful ministry is not simply to accept a particular set of beliefs or to carry out a certain job description. It is a way of life that is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It is a life of faith in which I am called to trust God for everything. The gifts I need for the ministry. The insight I need into thy word. The wisdom I need for spiritual counsel. The vision I need for the future. Whatever resources I need to do what God has called me to do. To be faithful to the call is to trust Jesus for everything. And you might sit there and say, well, Roger, I've not been called to the ministry. I'm just, I'm just a office worker. Or I'm just a teacher. Or I'm just a whatever. I'm just, I'm just a nurse. And that's, I, first of all, I don't like just for any job that God gives you. I think every job is just as important. But we've talked before the fact that every believer has a ministry. Your ministry and my ministry differ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says that God has given all of us a ministry of reconciling man to God, to drawing man and God together. And God has God has given me the opportunity to do that from the pulpit and ministering to your ministering in your homes and to you and to, to you as individuals and you as 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 a, as a church together. But I cannot do your ministry. I can't go into Craddockstown, is it nursing home? Is that what it's called? I can't go into Craddockstown nursing home and minister to the people there like Caroline can. I can't go into the crash ash works in and minister to the people there. I can't go into the hospitals that you guys work in as nurses and, and such. I can't go into your workplaces. I can't go into the, into Dan's engineering job. But, what that means is, is that all of us have a ministry to do. And therefore, as Paul wrote to Timothy, and yes, Paul wrote to Timothy explicitly because he was taking over the job that Paul had. But the principles of ministry that God gives, that Paul gives Timothy, are principles he can apply. And he begins that by saying, and, and, and he, he, he really jumps right into this in verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words uh, which you have been heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. First of all, he says, the, he uses the phrase, hold fast. Um, that's an interesting Greek word. It means to hold on with all your strength. Sometimes when your kids are little or your grandkids are little, are little everybody uses their own terms for it. Um, give me a great big squeezy hug. You know what that is? A great big squeezy hug? You can all picture that, can't you? It's just what it sounds like. It's a, And that's the kind of word that Paul uses here to Timothy. That's the way we have to hold on to the teachings that we have. They need to be precious to us. The teachings of God's Word must be precious to us. And as the world around us crumbles, as things are falling apart, and we see the results of living a broken world, of living in a broken world, we as Christians have something that we can cling on to. God has chosen so graciously to give us His written Word. I don't have to depend on dreams or visions because God has given me His Word. And what Paul is saying here, what he's getting ready to say to Timothy, he says you need to hold on to God's Word. 
and if I, if I, if I don't sound too sacrilegious, he says we need to give God's word a great big squeezy hug. A sign of how precious it is to us. And the more time you spend in God's Word, the more you're going to appreciate God's Word, and the more you're going to appreciate this to the whole, the need to hold fast to the Word of God. Everybody has things they hold on to. Um, people who have money, don't I wish? People who have money can hold on to their bank account as their hope. Um, people who have great high-paying jobs if we're not careful, can hold on to that job as their hope. Somebody like me who loves politics, if you're not careful, you can hold on to politics or your brand of politics as something you can depend on. Now, we know in Ireland over the last seven or eight years that there is nothing to hold on to if you're trying to hold on to politics. Everything is shaking and crumbling and it's just, there's no cohesion. And I'd be the last one to try to hold on to something in American politics for my hope. But God says there is something to hold to. He wants you to hold fast. And the next thing he says, I want you to hold fast to the pattern of, hold on. I want you to hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. Hold fast. Um, look, look, look with me. Look, look with, look with me. Just a couple of pages over to two Timothy, two Timothy chapter four, and verses one through three. Paul is still writing to Timothy. He's coming to the very end of this letter, which is his last words to Timothy. And he says, I charge you therefore, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the, his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season. Be instant. Be ready, in season, out of season. Re, re, um, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Good teaching, godly living, requires a pattern of truth. Paul says later on, as we just read, that the pattern of sound doctrine is in the Word of God. Doctrine can be kind of a scary word, can't it? I mean, people think doctrine can seem very boring. It can seem very dry. It can seem very difficult. Doctrine, when you talk about doctrine, it has this idea of it's, it's, it, that's only for preachers. I don't need to understand doctrine. I don't need all of it. But the truth is, doctrine has a very simple meaning. Um, and I, I like the way that the New King James translates it here. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. God has given us His Word, and it is God's Word that we must hold to. We can't just kind of hit and miss in the Word of God. As, as, as the dress pattern there, if you if you tried to take a shortcut... Let's say that um. Let's say that you decided you were just going to cut off this pat this part of the pattern. 
Is that dress going to work? Nope. Let's say that when I was making a sheet metal fitting, I was a little bit short of metal. I took my pattern down and I didn't quite have enough. And I said, I'm just going to cheat a little bit here and I'm going to leave that part off. Was my sheet metal fitting going to carry? Is it going to go together? No. That's why Paul says we need to stick to the pattern of sound words. We need to, we need to stick with God's word because he tells us here, he says down the road, right, right now, the, the, the Bible is fresh. We have all the writings, but the day is going to come years from now, like in 2020, when we're going to be far away. He says when that happens, people who don't stick true to God's word, are going to come up with all kinds of wacky ideas about the Word of God. And if you spend much time searching YouTube for preachers, you are going to find some pretty wacky ideas out there. Alright? All kinds of craziness. A guy named Jim Jones, I guess it's been 40 years ago now roughly. Must be about 40 years ago. A guy named Jim Jones called himself a preacher. And he started building his own cult. And eventually he took his cult down to, to um, Guyana, was it? Guyana. And he took his, and then when they started, then he convinced the people that you know, rather than give themselves over to being captured, they should all drink poisoned Kool-Aid so they could go to heaven. And because they didn't check out their Bibles, they believed what this guy said. So whenever you hear preaching, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's right here in this room, you need to make sure that the preaching you hear fits the pattern of God's Word. Do do you see that? Do you see why we can almost be called, I have been called in this country, I have been called a bible alater. You know what a bible alater would be? Any guess what a bible alater is? Somebody who treats their Bible as an idol and treats their Bible as in place of God. The person who said that had no concept of what the Bible really was. Because, no, I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of heaven. I worship Jesus Christ. But that God does reveal himself to us through the word of God. And we need to make a decision when, when the Word of God conflicts with my ideas, which one am I going to follow? Am I going to follow the Word of God or am I going to follow my notions? Let's say there's a preacher I highly respect and I've always highly regarded. And he gets up in the pulpit and he says something that is not, does not fit the pattern of God's Word. But I respect this guy. He's never misled me before. What, what, what do I do in that kind of a situation? I do, I, did my, I, I do what I did to my poor pastor 40-some years ago. I go to him and I say, Pastor, can you clear this up for me? This doesn't seem to be right. And there were a few times and he said, You know what, Roger? You're right. I misinterpreted that. I didn't get that right. But we've got to take... We have one rule. We have one standard. We, call, we, we talk sometimes in Bible college. We talk about the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture, that's C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N. 
the canon of Scripture is the standard of Scripture. And how we, how we developed the canon of Scripture that we use today, a lot of it was by faith. And we had, we trust that God says, I will preserve my word. So we can trust the fact that God has preserved His word for us. One of the prophets, I think it's, um, I think it's Zechariah maybe. I think it's Zechariah. Where God refers to His word as a plumb line. Now, we don't use, most people don't use physical plumb lines anymore. It's all laser. Do you know what a plumb line, anybody know what a plumb line is? I thought you would, Steve. What's a plumb line? All right, it's the weight at the end of a piece of string. And that plumb, why do you think, when you're, when you're doing construction work or building work, why do you think you would hang a weight on a piece of string in, in building work? It's going to be a straight line. It has no choice. Okay? That is, the Word of God is our plumb line. We compare everything to God's Word. So Paul tells Timothy, as soon as he starts instructing him, he says, the first and the most important thing you have to do is hold true to the pattern of God's Word. And we have that same responsibility today. And that's why when... Many times we've been standing here just like this and I've told you, if I say anything that does not seem conformed to the Word of God, that doesn't fit God's plumb line, I, I beg of you to come talk to me about it because there is a chance, I know it's rare, that I could make a mistake. Alright? <laughs> that, that could happen. I, I Sure. Well, very rare. But it could make... You know, I was wrong one time. I thought I made a mistake. So, anyway. Alright? No. We need to examine everything. And especially with YouTube. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's right. Abraham Lincoln said that, by the way. Uh, Okay? If you're watching YouTube... Or the God Channel. And and there's a lot of good stuff on those things. But my goodness, folks, please check out what they say according to the Word of God. And if they're on YouTube or they're on the God Channel and they don't ever open God's Word, you can be at least suspect of what they're saying. Okay? First thing is, we have got to hold true. We've got to stick to the pattern laid out because if we don't stick to, to the pattern that lay, that's laid out, we're really, really going to mess up. I like that word. I like the picture sound words. Sound words are pure. And the, the, the Greek word for sound means they're pure. They're literally hygienic. All right? They're not going to contaminate. I like that word, don't you, in that sense? God's pure words are not are hygienic. They're not going to corrupt you. He says, hold, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Now, sometimes when you hear preaching, there is a difference between words that sound good and sound words. I want to see how she translates, how she interprets that. All right. <laughs> All right. There's a difference between sound words and words that sound good. Did you notice that when the other verse I read in chapter 4, Paul warns against that. He says, people are going to go after things that aren't true. I like the old picture because they have itching ears. They hear what they want to hear. 
I could get up here. No, I don't think I could physically do it. But theoretically, I could get up here and I could preach every week. I could preach words that sound good to you. I could do that. A lot of people can do that kind of thing, can't they? And there's nothing wrong with words that sound good as long as they are sound words. What's the difference? Someone tell us the difference between sound words and words that sound good. Anybody? I'm sorry, Jay? Words that sound good are not necessarily the truth. Sound words are always going to be the truth. And I may stand up here sometimes and I may preach things that you just don't like. I, I, I don't purposely preach to offend you. But if, but, I, why? Because we need to hear sound words. We're never going to grow unless we're hearing the sound words of God's word. Alright, let me I'll move on. I, I don't want to get stuck here forever. Um, he says there's two, th- two ways we have to do that. At the end of the verse, he says, um, Hold fast to these sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He says two things we have to do. These are vital. He says these, this, this pattern of sound truth must be in faith and it must be in love. Now, <clears throat> faith and love, they need to balance out in our teaching. They're, 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 faith on one side, faith without love could be very harsh, can it? And love without faith could be pretty useless. Paul says there's two things we do when we hear God's Word preach. We trust what God says and we, 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 we trust that God has told us these things in love. Love is a vital part of hearing God's Word. I could, you know, preachers can get up and he, now he's talking specifically to Timothy here as a preacher. And he, he says to Timothy, you must preach these words in faith. You, you lay it out there on the, you lay it on the table. You say, here it is. And this is by faith, this is the Word of God. But he says you have to balance it with love. If I got up here like some pastors I've heard, some preachers I've heard in the past, yelling and screaming and throwing things and, and being full of anger and, and bless God this and screaming this and you wicked, vile sinners and you knew who I'm talking about. Some of the hellfire and damnation preaching you might have heard or seen on YouTube. Pounding and screaming. Yes, I've pounded the pulpit before. But pounding the pulpit and just pouring out condemnation. And what they're saying might be true. It might be true to the faith. But he says you need to balance that in love. There needs to be a heart of love. It's one thing to stand and condemn sin and call people names and all that kind of stuff. It's another thing to do it in love with a broken heart. Now, I tend to be a crier. You all know that. You often see me crying, doing songs or preaching. Um, but that's not a, that's just my personality. But I do try to preach out of love. I try to tell people, I try to tell you folks things because of God's love for us and because of my love for you. And I hope that comes through. I hope times that I've had to sit down with some some people, when I sit down with some people, I've had to talk to you one-on-one, and I hate confrontation. But I do hope that, you, that there's a sense that this is done in love. Truth must be presented with love, hand in hand. He says, stick forth to the pattern. Do it in truth and do it in love. 
how do you apply that if you're not in the full-time pulpit ministry or whatever? Well, you do it, you, you do it around your friends. You're sitting over a cup of tea and they're asking what you believe or what, why, what do Christians believe? Well, you tell them the truth. You tell them about your faith. You tell them that, yeah, I believe this by faith. But also, it's gotta be mixed with a heart of love. People need to know that we love them. I used to go calling with a guy, um, Big Jim. I won't tell you a surname in case you ever meet him. I don't think you will. But in um, a lot of American church, a lot of churches here too, you go knocking on doors to try to give the gospel. And Jim was a good soul winner. Jim was full of faith. He believed in the importance of faith. He was a good man in that regard. But he knocked on the door, and if the person tried to close the door, Big Jim would stick his foot in the door and saying, you're not going to go until you hear me. Okay? That's not faith mixed with love. That's just one aspect of it. There needs to be a loving spirit. He says, keep this pattern in faith and in love. So the first pattern, and I'm going to keep going. I'm not sure what time it is. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's go, let's go to the next part. The first pattern is the pattern of teaching. The second part, then, then Paul says in verse 14, see, he says, um, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He said, we hold fast to the ministry that God gives us. We don't quit. We guard these things. We protect them. We believe them with all of our heart. We're always vigilant. We're always guarding God's Word in our heart. We never, we don't let God's Word be attacked. We defend God's Word. And man, that is tough in this world sometimes. To stand for God's word when people are condemning, um, asking you what you think, and you've got to present God's word, <clears throat> it can be a tough thing to do. We always stand. We can never compromise on the word of God. We can compromise on our practices sometimes. We can compromise on some of our standards, but we can never compromise the word of God. We've got to stand true. Spurgeon again. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Oh, friends, it were better for us that the sun were quenched than that the gospel were gone. I believe that the moralities, the liberties, and peradventure the very existence of a nation depend upon the proclamation of the gospel in its midst. Have you not noticed that where the gospel has been given up and various forms of infidelity have ruled, foul pollution has boiled up from below? That guy could preach, couldn't he? The very idea of morality seems to have departed from some men by whom belief in God has been rejected. The Lord save us from the general spread of this mischief. Let the sea itself cease to ebb and flow sooner than the gospel fail to be preached to the sons of men. Charles Spurgeon is saying here, he's saying the same thing that Paul said to Timothy. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. I can't solve Ireland's problems by joining Fine Gael or Fianna Foyle or Sinn Féin or Labour and, and, and fighting for their cause. I can't solve Amer- Ireland's problems in that regard. I can't go back to America and solve Americans' problems by being pro-Trump or anti-Trump or any of those things. That stuff is a waste of our time. What we need to see, our goal needs to, our, our goal, we're not going to fix the world's problems by laws. What we're striving to do is fix people's hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we hold fast to the pattern 
of God's Word in our lives and in the things we say. Hold fast to the pattern of God's Word. Now, quickly, I want to talk about a guy here. Great guy. Here's the pattern of another. Here is a pattern, an example of a Christian. This guy's name is Anisiphorus. A couple of guys leave Paul. We find that in verse 15. Uh, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among those who are fig, um, Figilus and Hermogenes. But he says this about this guy, Anisiphorus. Verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. And look at these things. If, if you mark in your Bible, if you do mark in your Bible, I, I, I'd like you to maybe underline or put a note here and go back and look at the things that set Anisiphorus apart. Because this is the pattern that we need to choose in our lives for each other. Anisphorus was the one guy Paul could count on. And he told Timothy that. He said, "Don't you can trust Anisphorus. He's one guy that's going to stick with you. Um, for he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chain. When he came to Rome, he sought me out zealously and he found me. The Lord grant to him he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at, at, at Ephesus. Would you not love to be known as the Christian or the person that refreshed other people? How often are other Christians refreshed by being with you? Last week, I was overwhelmed at the wonder of the service and the meal last week. My mind was blown. I was one of those moments. Dan, Dan's challenge from God's Word about seeing beyond our earthly battles to see the God that's on our side. Amazing truth stuck with me all week. Then we went back there and we fellowship for about an hour. I left here last week absolutely, totally refreshed by being around you guys. You lifted my spirit. You lifted my soul. You lifted my heart. You gave me the encouragement to keep on going. It was one of those amazing... Nothing spectacular happened. Nothing hugely happened. It was just... The refreshment of being together with God's people. We had physical refreshment, but we had spiritual and emotional refreshment together. And Paul tells Timothy here, this guy in this verse, he refreshed my spirit over and over again. We need to be careful, guys, that we, our goal is to refresh each other. Yes, sometimes we're going to be hurting. And sometimes we're going to be in pain and sometimes we are going to need refresh. That's when we step in and refresh each other. Are we refreshers? Like, here's a pattern. Here's a pattern to follow. Be a refresher of other believers. He wasn't ashamed of Paul. Paul Paul was the kind of guy I can see it being easy to, easy to be ashamed of Paul. He was a bit of a nutter when you think about it. He just didn't care. He just preached. He walked into buildings and told people about Jesus. And I can see myself grabbing his robe and saying, Paul, not, not here, buddy. Come on. Not here. All right. Can, can we just hold? Not, not, not here. Come on. 
Excuse Paul. No, he's okay. He's really okay. And this person never did that. He was the guy that walked right along with him. He wasn't ashamed of his nutter Christian friend. All right? Not ashamed of him. We looked two weeks, three weeks ago about the importance that we not be ashamed of God working in us. We need not be ashamed of others. I've been around guys. I, I, I have. I mean, here I am. I'm a Christian forty some years. I've been preaching the gospel for years and years and years, and yet I get sometimes I get around a Christian who is really fervent about his faith and is really on fire about Jesus. And we walk into a room with some friends, and this guy just takes off. You know, the only hope, the only thing, Jesus Christ is the answer. And the biggest change in my life was when Jesus came into my heart and saved me. And okay, um, you're 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 in a situation. You're in a you're in a situation with people that you know, and somebody comes in and they preaches, and they're just boom 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 with the gospel in love, and it's like, oh my goodness, he's going to bear. But you know what? God uses those things to speak to people's hearts because it's God's Word that doesn't return void. He wasn't ashamed of his friend. We don't need to, we need to be excited to be with each other. He refreshed him. He wasn't ashamed of him. I love this picture too. When, when Anisiphorus came to Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Now, when Paul, when, when, when Anisiphorus got to Rome, he didn't have Google Maps. He couldn't just punch in the air code and find out where Paul was. All right, Rome was a big city. Probably a half a million people lived in Rome. And here Onesiphorus had to go find him. <clears throat> Problem was, is that he is looking... Now think about this from the Romans' point of view. He was looking for a criminal. Okay? He was looking... And didn't, have, you heard about, have you heard about Paul? No, Paul, that criminal, that heretic... That anti, that anti Caesar crazy guy. He what? Paul sought him out. He could, would not stop until he found the house that Paul was staying in. Do we have that kind of devotion for each other? Do we have that kind of? I mean, do we have that kind of devotion to find believers? When you're in a strange place, are you devoted to finding somebody to fellowship with? You know that I. Probably even somewhat, I may go over the top when it comes to going to church. I believe for my, me and my family, we ought to be in church. And if we're traveling in the States, if we're traveling and we're traveling on a Wednesday night, I'm going to try to find a church to visit on that Wednesday night because I feel like I ought to be there. I'm not going to stop someplace that doesn't have a church to go to on a Sunday. All right. I won't even stop there because I feel like we need to be in church. Why? Because we need each other. And Anisphorus was driven mad to be with Paul, to fellowship with him. Do we have that same kind of attitude for each other? A diligence that earnestly seeks out other believers. I love the story about when Paul was traveling to Rome, how he met these Christians here and these Christians here along the way. And he ministered. And the last thing it says is is that that, um, Anisphorus ministered to him diligently. He didn't just do a halfway job of ministering to Paul. He did, he did it with all due, diligence, all due diligence. How about it, guys? How are we doing in sticking to these two patterns? How are we doing to sticking to the pattern of God's Word? 
Are we following the pattern? Are we taking shortcuts? Are we adding a little bit extra here or there? No. Stick to the pattern of God's Word with a faithful and loving spirit. And then we, we, can, we, can, we would do well to like follow the pattern that Onesiphorus set for believers. How are we doing in those areas? Paul wrote these words almost 2,000 years ago to a young preacher. But they mean just as much to you and me sitting here in Nace in the year 2020. Will we follow the pattern of God's Word and we, will we follow the pattern of Christians we find in God's Word? Father, I thank you for the message today. Thank you for the challenge it was to my heart. Thank you for the attentive hearts of the people here. Lord, I'm blessed to be with these folks. My heart was stirred, challenged, and convicted by the preaching today. Take your Word and apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. 